the film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young, but had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. fucking terrifying is that it's pretty goddamn effective for sure and how dead on perfectly did i blend from that to our mics this week color me impressed i think that was the best we've ever done yeah pretty good that of course was the uh the preamble and uh title song i guess from uh the 1974 Toby Hooper classic. <sighs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, welcome to the uh, Toby Hooper Legacy episode, unfortunately. Um, as everyone knows by now, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not long after we lost Mr. Romero, uh, we lost another uh, giant mm. in the industry and the genre, Mr. <clears throat> Toby Hooper. The man who is responsible for, in my opinion the most effective horror film ever made. I'd probably agree with that. Yeah. Also, in my opinion, the best, but I will say that I think technically speaking, the most effective is a very difficult position to attack. Yeah. (laughs) I'm super (laughs) high guys. Um, of course, uh, Mr. Hooper, um, revolutionized horror with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, But this episode is not devoted entirely to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We are hoping, much like with George Romero, to... Do I sound weirdly echoey or something? I think we're both just kind of loud. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. Curious. um, We're hoping... We're hoping and going to uh, (laughs) celebrate uh, the life and art as a whole of Toby Hooper here and maybe give you some titles that you weren't aware of mm-hmm. uh, for you to then seek out and find out some of the other cool shit this guy did. He did a lot of cool shit. <laughs> he really did. Yeah. I didn't realize, and we'll get more into this, I didn't realize how how present he was in my childhood. 
Like looking right. back and like realizing, oh shit, he directed that movie. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of movies from I can remember from like a very young, like sixish age, mm-hmm. being like pretty strongly impacted by these movies, and and to know that he did it is is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, and every interview and commentary track and everything I've ever heard of him with him, he he seemed like the most unsuspecting like nice good-hearted like yeah uh until i mean that's how it is with every just about every horror director yeah you know, wes craven does not come off no <laughs> like last house on the left you know oh god i should hope not <laughs> um so uh yeah let me just get something set up here uh, but yeah, we'll get into everything, even the um, poltergeist controversy, which yeah. you can't really bring up Toby Hooper without touching on. I certainly have my opinions mm-hmm. that are the correct ones, right? But let's start at the beginning with a movie that I finally watched today for the first time. Ah, um, the Arrow Video UK release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Um, the the um, now out of print Blu-ray set uh, was hum- the f- humble brag. <laughs> was as far as I know the first ever appearance on home video of uh, his 1969 film Eggshells. Mm. It's fucking strange. It's a hippie <laughs> movie. Oh, okay. Like a big time hippie movie. All right. I, it's definitely should be watched. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It it was weird. Watching something from a director who, all your life, you you think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre being where he started. Right. And then decades later, you find out that there was this other thing that he did before. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic to try to put together while watching the movie. Um, but definitely, he's all over it. I mean, it's you can definitely see stuff that he learned and then implemented. Uh, later on in his career, and definitely in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, with um, you know photography and things of that nature. Nice. Uh, also, Texas Chainsaw Massacre soundtrack, uh, which we heard on the way in, composed by Toby Hooper. No shit. Yeah, I don't believe he's ever he ever revealed what that noise is. Ah. Uh. But essentially, the recording of the of the uh, score for the film. Was Toby in a room with a bunch of weird, like, Tom Waits type shit that he would just bang awesome. on and fucking, yeah. like, run over other shit and, like, just amazing avant garde, like, yeah. techniques that fully paid off in sheer terror? I would pay so much money for footage of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You, oh, hello? Yeah, you're still there. Okay. Um, what is happening? Um, Oh. Bonus points. Am yeah. I there? Okay. Bonus points if you can uh, identify the voice, uh, the narrator at the beginning of Texas Chainsaw uh, Massacre. Yeah. Um, John Larroquette. Yep. Yep. Whose son is now a famous podcaster. Is he? Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Has he uh, has dad on? I think they have. Yeah. They don't. They don't do an interview show. It's him and a guy named Seth Romatelli. I do an interview show. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to add to the. Bad I like vibes. to think of us as the Toby Hooper of horror podcasting. We're just doing our own thing. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm cool with that. The people that do find us uh, tend to appreciate it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, John Larroquette's kid, uh, Jonathan Larroquette, and Seth Romatelli have a podcast called Oh Yeah, Dude. Nice. It's pretty good. I haven't listened to it in quite a while, but yeah, apparently I I saw an interview with Larroquette where he he <laughs> he says that he's almost positive that he was paid in marijuana. Nice <laughs> for the uh, recording of that, which is just such an awesome little thing to add to the legend of that movie. Yeah. Uh, if no one's ever, or if if you've never read um, Gunnar Hansen's memoirs from shooting Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Chainsaw Confidential. Yeah. You can find it very cheap on Amazon. It is an amazingly great read. Yeah. It gives you a lot of insight into Toby and, of course, into Gunner and the making of that entire film. That you've, if you're like me, you've exhausted like all the documentaries and special features and stuff. This book um, uncovers a ton of shit that you, is not covered in those documentaries. And nice. It's fantastic. Gunner was a very, very talented uh, author. What was the. Um the documentary, the portrait of uh, oh, um, family portrait. Yes, that's a really good documentary to watch yeah. as well because I learned a lot of shit that probably a lot of it was covered in the book. But it's a very dated documentary. Yeah, like they, I believe they shot it on video. Yeah, no, I, it's I very think so. good. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, and then also there's um, um, red shirt pictures and our our friend michael felcher hmm. um has produced a ton of great texas chainsaw uh features nice including a wonderful uh like i believe beyond feature length uh documentary that's on uh dark sky their release okay of texas chainsaw and uh carried over to arrows release i believe nice and then uh yeah <laughs> Really, really, uh, really good. What was I doing? I was looking at something. <laughs> oh, I guess now's as good a time as any. I know we just played some stuff, but let's give a listen to the uh, trailer for the original Chainsaw Massacre. What we keep our mics was on. True. What happened was true. <laughs> God, the twitching. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. That voice. I miss that voice so much. I wish my bedroom door was like that. The sliding door. (laughs) Sliding steel door. Bye bye, Franklin. (laughs) This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Hmm. 
<laughs> what a fucking trailer, man. Um, after you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. That's yeah. fucking great. It's a good line. Dick Miller is <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there are countless uh, sources you can go to to find the history of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So we won't. I won't. We won't bore you with any like insider details or anything. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the film because I, I I got forced to watch The Exorcist when I was very young. Right. Um, my friends family was very catholic right and they caught us trying to have a seance in the garage <laughs> and made us watch the exorcist right so it scared me but it, there was no like dread right or, like having heard about it leading up to it texas chainsaw massacre was a movie that as a kid i always heard about mm. and was always told just don't <laughs> don't don't go there don't do it you'll be fine yeah like faces of death or something you know it's right. like you you if you watch this movie, then afterwards things will never be the same for you. Right, and I avoided it for years and years. Even when I got into horror, right, um, it was still one of those that I like. I don't know, man. <laughs> and then I've told this story before, so I won't tell the full story. But the I actually don't remember the first time I saw it. I know, I know. I mean, and that and that's not leading into the story, but. Just the story takes place on the second time I ever saw the movie. Right. <clears throat> the first time I don't remember, but I, I remember, um, like, from the get go, you know, the images, this, like, close up sun flares. Yeah. And the rotting corpses that have been, like, made into art. Right. And, uh, Larroquette's voiceover. I mean, I had no, there was no internet when I was a kid and first saw right. this movie. There was no way to go to Snopes and be like, did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre happen? Because everything points to this being a true story. Right. And then uh, the the style in which it was shot, like the trailer says, it feels like you're there with these fucking kids. Like you are afraid for your own life. Right. Watching this movie as though you're immersed in it. For me anyway. Yeah. Again, I'm very high. <laughs> Um, but the second time I ever saw them, them and the, the first time I came away remembering, uh, like it was like flashes in my memory, but every time I would, I would like think about it, like preceding each like highlight of the movie was that fucking sound yeah. of like the bulb going off. And I would see like, you know, uh, Leatherface coming down with the mallet oh, God. and that door and the meat hook and and all this like you know all of it and the cook poking her with the fucking oh my broom God. handle and uh <laughs> i did my best to just forget it because at that time i was like just dipping my toes into horror right and like okay well i got that over with let's okay right let's we can just, move on it's done i never have to revisit it right and then long story short the second time i saw the movie i was the first time i ever took ass oh god that sounds <laughs> and, uh, like the worst idea ever yeah with uh <laughs> a very good friend of mine and then like four sketchy guys that we barely knew mm. in a house that had no furniture. Right. But had hardwood floors, a coffee table, a sofa and a TV and VCR. Right. And nothing else in the house. <laughs> and I watched the movie from under the coffee table. It was the only place I felt safe. 
<laughs> but I watched the movie. I didn't right. like try to get away. Right. And something like cathartic <laughs> took, I think, in me yeah. on, on acid watching that. I don't recommend it. No. To anyone, but I think it, it that like <laughs> that viewing had a profound effect on when you look around my house now, like yeah. how immersed in horror I am. It like makes I, sense. I really gave myself over to it. Right. I can, I can connect some dots here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, a week or so later, um, I found myself in Roanoke, and there was a place called Suncoast for all you kids listening. It was a, it was a movie store where you could go in, and all they had was movies, VHS what? and DVD. <laughs> and I got the first DVD release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I remember reading the back and listed under the special features was bloopers. <laughs> and I thought, there's no fucking way. And and there are there isn't. I mean they are bloopers, but they're terrifying. <laughs> like they're, it's all that stuff that's you know, it doesn't look like a sitcom. It looks like Texas Chainsaw Man. Anyway. Uh a huge, huge influence in my life. And um while I wouldn't recommend it or and probably wouldn't do it again, yeah. I'm glad that I saw it on acid. Uh, because it allowed me to embrace something. <laughs> and w- one thing that's different for me um, w- in honoring Toby Hooper over George Romero mm. is that with Romero, I I kind of um, – it's a – I don't want to say smoother, but, like, I got to meet George Romero and let him know how right. important he was. And it's a selfish thing. Right, sure. But you know, to let him know, like in my in my ego brain like <laughs> this is not at all what I think, but like it could be misconstrued as it was a little easier for me because George Romero died knowing what I thought about him. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's not what I mean for it to sound like. Right. No, I get it. But makes sense. I never got to meet Toby Hooper, and well, I tried so hard. Well, to think get of him. it as is that you got to thank Romero, right? Yes, you didn't get to thank Hooper. Yeah, yeah. And arguably, <clears throat> um, given the story I just told, Hooper may have had <laughs> a heavier <laughs> hand in uh, who I became genre-wise, anyway. But yeah, I tried like hell, man. Every convention I ever like kind of became um, a part of, or whatever, I would. You know, immediately when the con was over, I would email the guy and be like, is there any way to get Toby Hooper next year? <laughs> I did that with Joe for Scares the Care, but I don't think he made it to the East very often. Yeah. Um, our good friend of the show, Lucky McKee, um, was very tight with Toby, and I mm. sent my condolences to him. Um, but, yeah, that's where I first heard about eggshells. Yeah. Uh, Lucky was telling me that Toby, like, invited him over one night. For a thirty-five millimeter screening of eggshells, and I'm like, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah. What about you with Texas Chainsaw? Man, I've been dominating this fucking thing. I'm so no, that's sorry. Right. Um, I saw. It. Also, by the way, I'm not skirting around an issue here, and you may be wondering this too. We're gonna like next episode. Everything goes back to normal, right? And uh, we will be ta- touching and talking quite a bit about the fact that Ian has had a very major life change. Ah, yes. Recently. <laughs> a very good one. But, right. But I'm just trying to stay on point. No, for this it, it makes sense. <laughs> so, um, but we're, we're not hiding anything. Right. <laughs> Sam, it's fine. Just just hold on. <laughs> I mean, I am hiding right. part of that. But Yeah, I yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was probably two. Yeah, it sounds about right. 
No, I was probably like early teens okay. when I first saw it. And I've been a horror kid like for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, uh, Chainsaw had it. I had never been gut punched by a horror movie like mm-hmm. that before. Because, I mean, I've always been more like a monster kid right. anyway. And so it was never really a matter of like, oh, this is, you know, I, I, I never had nightmares about, you know, critters or anything, you know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right, like, right. it was just like, oh, this is fun. You know, it's gory. I love the, the, the creature designs, you know, yeah. like it, it was a different thing. But Chainsaw was, was definitely one of the first ones that I was like, fuck me. That was this can be, harsh, yeah, yeah. you know? And so, like, like you touched on, like, so, like, visceral and, like, realistic. realistic and, you know, even though you know that you're watching something that someone wrote and directed mm-hmm. and produced, it's like, did, did I just watch, a like, a feature-length snuff, snuff film? Right. Like, because all the deaths, like, there's not a hokey one in the bunch, you know right. what I mean? Like, it's all very real and gritty and yeah and, and it's not and contrary to like the magic trick that toby pulled with a lot of audiences with this movie of like people are convinced that this is a gory film right and it's not and that's part yeah. of what makes it genuinely terrifying yeah. is that there aren't cheesy special effects of right you know a head decapitation or anything right it's done all very either off camera or just out of eye shot or, you know, with Franklin, you see, you know, blood kind of spattering up right. on him and the meat hook, you never actually see the, but you see her like, yeah. Truss up on it, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, uh, man, it's very little blood in this, this truly terrifying movie. Yeah. And it, it's so fucking impressive that this is the first movie first movie that this guy did of this type, mm-hmm. you know, cause I feel like most people, when they make their first horror movie, you are going to see like, you know, especially at this time, you are going to see like clearly a dummy getting its head lopped right. off or something. Yeah, but yeah. for someone to have the knowledge going into it, not having any real experience in it, having the knowledge to make it look believable mm-hmm. to a very high level, you know, is, is really impressive. Yeah. When you get a, very genuine looking moment of simply but beautifully uh uh done sp- practical effects yeah uh like almost right off the bat when the hitchhiker cuts his hand right like that's so easy i mean that's such a a, a bladder in the palm right running along the side but there's that burbling of like the one bubble that comes up and yeah. just he sells it so well yeah that's probably the most amount of blood you see in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But it's the first thing like that you see, and it's so expertly done that the rest of the movie, you're just like, holy shit. Th- yeah. There's not going to be anything cheesy going on yeah. here. Um, it's also one of the few films, and M- Romero had one too, where it's become one word. Uh, chainsaw? Chainsaw. Yeah. And everyone knows yeah. what you're talking about. And uh, Romero did it with a lot with Night, mm-hmm. Dawn. I love fucking Dawn. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, anyone asks, you know, are you a fan of Chainsaw? You know what the fuck they're talking about. Right. Not, do you like Black and Decker? Right. <laughs> I've always wondered, I brought it it's, up on It's here not Chainsaw and, Hookers. Hollywood <laughs> no. Chainsaw Hookers. Also with Gunnar Hansen. Oh, shit. That's right. Um <laughs> 
Uh, also, the art direction on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, enough can't be said. Um, yeah. Bob Burns, who unfortunately is also no longer with us, I got to meet him briefly at uh, Cinema Wasteland years ago. And uh, he's such a fucking character. He's all over the documentaries, and he there's a commentary track with him on uh, the original Chainsaw that I highly recommend. He's so funny and he's just he's a fucking character yeah and he's the guy responsible for the bone furniture and the fucking you know feathers and the chickens and all that shit and all the all the set design the the amazing like blood curdling set design so he's to blame for like all of the cast and crew like violently vomiting (laughs) from that one scene that and like hundred degree Texas heat, right. <laughs> with black tarps over windows in one room, in like what has become known as like a twenty seven hour straight right. shoot, you know, with, yeah. with actual yeah. rotting flesh on the table. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like I said, this could easily turn into a Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode, but you know, we don't want that to be the case. So um, we'll move along. I think anything, anything that needs to be said about Texas Chainsaw Massacre has been said better by people other than us. Right. It is an absolute work of genius. Yeah. In 76... Oh, (laughs) okay. The other thing that kills me with Chainsaw is uh, Toby originally wanted to get a G rating. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And couldn't figure out why (laughs) he didn't get it. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Is there any, like, language or anything? No, there's not. Because I know there's no nudity or anything, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Chainsaw though yeah. also is uh, and Daniel Perlman, the um, cinematographer, are responsible for one of the most iconic shots in horror, though, or one of my favorite iconic shots right. of uh, the girl walking toward the house from the swing and the camera. Yeah, it's the shadow box I have over here. Yeah, it's one of my all-time favorite shots of yeah a sexy girl with a nice butt walking towards. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but it's done from such a low level, like the camera goes under the the swing as yeah. she gets up and stuff. It's so great. So fucking great. Everything about that movie is so good. Um, but yeah, in 1976, <laughs> Toby brought us Eaten Alive. Yeah. Uh, which is based on a true story. <laughs> uh, what was the guy's name? Something Ball. Oh, Jim Ball or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Again, we don't claim to be experts, guys. <laughs> We're just telling you what we think. This is one of my favorite Toby Hooper <laughs> you movies. You do love this. I movie. really do more than I probably <laughs> should. It's just so goddamn insane. I love it. Morticia Adams is in this. movie. That's right. Robert England is in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Morticia he... Adams, uh, Caroline Jones. Right. Sorry, <laughs> not uh, Houston. Uh, no, no, but this is a movie about a guy um, who runs a motel. Uh, he's a little off kilter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a touch. Played by um, oh, why can't I remember his name? Well, you gotta do this. He was in Without Warning. Yeah, he was. Um, Walter Matthau. <laughs> yes, Walter Matthau is an unhinged maniac. Yeah. I I would watch Eating Alive starring Walter Matthau in a fucking heartbeat. Uh, Neville Brand. Neville Brand. Yes. Neville Brand, yes. 
who uh if you if you watch the uh documentaries and and stuff on the blu-rays and dvds you find out neville brand was a fucking madman yeah like toby hooper was terrified of neville brand like a lot of that wasn't as much acting Right. As just Neville Brand being a fucking nut job. There's a lot of the actors saying, why are you filming this? Help me, please. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, it's a strange, strange movie. It's, um, a campy is not the right word, but it feels, it feels like a campy film. Right. I, I don't, yeah. I don't think it, it really feels like it's campy until the gator shows up. You're like, Fuck. All right. <laughs> That's what this movie is now. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the story of a motel owner who mur- murders his guests, feeds them to his giant crocodile. Oh, yeah, this crocodile. That's right. Because they make a point <coughs> to say, yeah. yeah, okay. You right. But the performances in it are fantastic. Yeah. Young Robert England is Buck. Uh it's just a despicable human being. <laughs> yeah, Caroline Jones. It's a, a very, very good cast. Yeah, uh, of like kind of newcomers who became well known, right? And uh, mixed with like already established uh, pillars of acting, right? But yeah, really, really good. Uh, then in '79, he gave us the. Uh, TV movie that this is one of those flicks that the more I watch it, the more I really fucking like this movie. Yeah, uh, Salem's Lot, uh, Stephen King's yeah. Salem's Lot, which I believe was like a two night event. Yeah, on ABC. Or I think wherever. so. And uh, then it was so good; it was released as a on home video as a solid like right. three hour film uh, that's now out on Blu Ray, and I, I highly recommend it. it has a Really, really good commentary track with Toby. On oh, it. nice. Yeah. Any any commentary track with Toby Hooper, I highly recommend. Yeah. His voice, he is such a wonder. And we're going to play uh, like an interview with him here in a bit. But he, <laughs> we, uh, the Church of the Holy Weirdo, um, when we made videos, um, we started doing this uh, documentary about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, to be done. We were doing it as like characters of our, like egomaniac right. versions of ourselves. Looking back on all of the <laughs> like uh, history breaking, like, like the cute movies we used to make, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like how instrumental they've been right. through the years. It was very funny, and somewhere Ben has like eight hours of raw footage of <laughs> of interviews. But when I did my interview, I'm if this ever comes out, maybe you'll be able to tell. I modeled my interview on Toby Hooper, nice, like his patterns of speech and his vo- very low voice and. <laughs> I, I was smoking uh, black, black and mild. Nice, and a very uh, methodical way of talking, and very. <laughs> it's, it's completely. I love his like speech pattern and like voice so much. Yeah, and um, yeah. So anyway, uh, any commentary, yeah, you can get with Toby. I highly recommend. But uh, the one on Salem's Lot in particular was very. Uh, informative for me because i don't know a lot about salem's lot right i remember watching it as a kid and being like oh yeah when the kid like floated through the window like yeah. being freaked out but largely kind of forgot about the rest yeah. of it and then stephen king tv movies started sucking so bad that i right. just stopped revisiting them yeah then 
a couple months ago when Salem's Lot was put out on Blu-ray. I thought, yeah, fuck it. It's time for me to... I had forgotten Toby directed it. Yeah. So I picked it up and watched it. Really, really fucking loved it. I think yeah. maybe if the older you are, the more you appreciate it. Yeah. I, um, uh, and then I watched it with the commentary. And it was just... The, I, I fell in love with the movie. Yeah. Well, I, I was just telling you, I, I finally picked it up uh, the other day. Um, it it will very likely be incorporated into my 31 days of horror. Are we doing that this year? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but that one, that one was pretty creepy to me as a kid and, and kind of the same where like, I, I don't really remember a whole lot of the movie, mm-hmm. but there are definitely some scenes that stand out more than others. Like the kid tapping on the window, yeah. like that creeped me the fuck out. Um, it's more atmospheric than I think yeah. I was expecting from a guy like Toby Hooper. Right. And I mean that in a like a good surprise way. Like, right, sure. It was like showing different facets of himself. Right. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever, because I was pretty young when I saw it the first time, so I, I had no real knowledge of like a Nosferatu-esque mm. vampire. Right. I would always, I'd, I've been used to like, you know, Dracula style, you know, with the, yeah. the widow's peak and the cape and <laughs> right. all that. And then I saw this, I'm like, holy shit, that is goddamn terrifying. Yeah. And then the, the Which idea. apparently that character is not described that way in the book at all. No, like, I don't think so. Apparently he's rather attractive. Yeah. Um, Which is, I mean, if that was Toby's choice, then that's. Yeah, because it's an iconic look at this point. Crazy decision to yeah. make, you know. Um, I think it was the first time I'd ever. Because um, I had knowledge of like Renfield, but I think this was the first time I had knowledge of a vampire with like a human. Like, if, if I remember correctly, kind of has like a handler. Yeah, like, played by Lawrence Olivier. Right. Yes. Who's like on his deathbed, essentially. The commentary you'd learn so much about <laughs> about so many things in the commentary. But like, yeah, apparently, uh, was it Lawrence? No, it wasn't Lawrence Olivier. Lawrence Olivier was in the uh, Frank Langella Dracula. It was. Um, Broderick Crawford? No. It's a very well-known actor who was like in the twilight of his t- of his years. Uh, what was the character's name? Do you remember? I don't. Lou Ayers? Salem? <laughs> no. Lou Ayers. Uh, Alicia something. No. You know who is in that movie, though, who's amazing, is uh, Jeffrey Lewis. Yes, he is. God, I love Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah. Jeffrey Lewis is like my generation's Dick Miller. Although Dick Miller is kind of also my generation's Dick Miller. Uh, fucking Fred Willard is in this movie. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Why can't you find the name? <laughs> it's probably near the top. Lance Kerwin? Mm-mm. James Mason? James Mason. Okay. And honestly, now that I say that, I realize I'm thinking of a different commentary. Oh, sorry. Lawrence Olivier, uh, who played Van Helsing in the Frank Langella Dracula, was on his deathbed, essentially. Gotcha. So derailed. So thank you, Robbie. Uh, But yeah, Salem's Lot, it's definitely a fresh take on the vampire genre, especially like you and I when we came into it only knowing the style Dracula, you know. And then when you see like when you get start getting deeper into horror and find Nosferatu, you're like, "What's the fucking Salem's Lot ripoff?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then in 1981, 
he brought us what became one of Scream Factory's first three, I believe, titles ever released, uh, The Fun House. Mm. Yeah, we've talked about that one a bit on the show. Yeah, it's yeah. such a good, solid fucking movie. Yeah. And the guy that plays the three different carnival barkers is amazing. <laughs> He's so cool. He's so good. But yeah, it's a sad, sad um, movie. It's so fitting that the monster wears a Frankenstein mask yeah. for much of the movie because there's a, a decent amount of parallels, at least in like uh, what you should take away from right. the film uh, that there are in Frankenstein. Uh, but yeah, Funhouse is, yeah, it's one of those greasy 70s movies that I talk about that like looks like it was like filmed like <laughs> with Vaseline on the lens. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was trying to figure out a way to incorporate Vaseline. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, it's just a solid movie. I don't have a lot to say about it that we haven't already said. The Screen right. Factory releases well worth it. Yeah, of course. Um, for a long time, the Funhouse was one of those Toby Hooper movies that you would use to gauge another person's commitment to the genre. Salt level, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their salt level, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one and Salem's Lot were mm-hmm. ones that I checked out at a, at a very young age, and like I was saying earlier, didn't didn't know who Toby Hooper was. Yeah, and, you know, I was at an age where I I think the only director I knew was Spielberg, probably thanks to Jurassic Park or Schindler's List, whatever. I will uh, never thank Jurassic Park for anything. <laughs> um, uh, we've been jabbering on. Why don't we hear from the man himself? Let's do it. Uh, this is uh, about an eight-minute interview uh, from 2006 uh, that I did not do ah. uh, once again, but I don't think I'm going to need to read questions that pop up <laughs> on the screen like That's I had good. to with, with George Romero. Um, so yeah, let's hear from the, uh, fucking legend himself. Uh, please enjoy this interview with Toby Hooper. I was born in Austin, Texas, and my parents were in the hotel business. And, and so, uh, they had hotels around Texas, uh, Dallas, San Angelo, Austin. So anyway, so I would move from hotel to hotel. And, um, my babysitter was the, the local movie theaters. I remember this kind of blur of black and white. I learned the grammar of film and the language of, of, of how to tell a story with images. And uh, uh, before I learned how to speak, sometimes it would come on in color. I remember Scaramouche with uh, Stuart Granger. For some reason, I watched that film over and over again. I'm sure it was the sword fighting, all the, the swashbuckling business. I would sometimes go home and, and reenact the damn thing, you know? And so I was growing up and watching movies, at least three of them a day. I was like 16 years old, and I made my first sound film, and I decided after that experience that I wanted to be a director. But it was all I really ever wanted to do. I shot quite a few documentaries, and one was uh, with this group, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Well, that was my first feature-length movie, and then I did another film called Eggshells in Austin. It's truly a hippie movie. I mean, the actors in it were honest to God, <laughs> you know. 
uh, hippies, and it's a really interesting movie. But it got only 50 play dates, maybe, around university campuses. And I wanted to make a, a skyrocket big enough that I could shoot the damn thing into the air and they could see me in Los Angeles. So that's that's what I did. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I decided to make a horror film because I didn't need stars. I just needed a good story and bring all the cinematic experience that I had, which was considerable, actually. It was like all my life brought me to, to that moment. It was this very low budget of $60,000. I raised the money from local investors, and we started shooting. What I wanted to bring to it was a, a kind of truth and reality that I had been experiencing in documentary filmmaking, and it really worked. Some of it was just totally terrifying. I remember I went to a drive-in theater to see it, and I would see people's taillights start coming up. And I would think, oh, God, There's, they're leaving. They're, they're bailing out on this. Then, then they would go off again. And I thought, oh, oh, thank God you're going to stay. You know, and then the taillights would come on again. And then I got into the movie. And I kept pushing the brake pedal. <laughs> like everyone else. It was just an automatic reaction. But it didn't make the movie stop. No, no. The audience just went nuts for it. It was incredible. I felt, a, you know, okay, well, I've, I've done the skyrocket number. My next picture was eaten alive. It was one of those, can you come make this movie? And I said, that's cool, if I can rewrite it. It was a, a constant rewrite job every day. You know? But it was a lot of fun, and it had a lot of actors that I'd known on the screen growing up. Mel Ferrer, Carolyn Jones, Stuart Whitman, Neville Brand. And so that, that attracted me, that, that was appealing. Stephen King's Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot um, started as a feature, but it was impossible really to tell that story in two hours. So it's a two-part TV thing. And it stayed fixed to Stephen King's book because that story needed to come through the eyes of the people in the town. Don't you understand what's happening? The vampires are creating vampires. What was happening to them? and their reaction to it is the thing that made the film scary. The Fun House. Fun House was a script that was offered to me. Who will dare to face the And I thought, well, this, this could be really cool. I always wanted to do a carnival movie. It was like the curtain opening on the underbelly of show business. And it was a universal picture, and that meant that I could use the image of Frankenstein. And I always wanted to put a monster mask on a monster, and then to reveal the real monster. And so th that was fun. Steven Spielberg crosses a frightening new threshold. Poltergeist. I'd known Spielberg since I'd made Chainsaw. And he'd say, well, uh... You know, we'd do something together, so we did Poltergeist. They're here. 
It was my first time to work with big optical effects. And, and that was quite a challenge for me. So I learned a lot. From then on, I became a special effects expert. And people went nuts. The audiences just turned electric. And it, and it was really cool to watch that. From the director of Poltergeist, Life Force. Life Force was a space opera, yeah. A certain kind of science fiction, almost like the illustrated novels. Something's happening to me. And it was all really cool, you know, to have astronauts floating on Superman wire cable. And I had Matilda May walk around in the nude for at least an hour of the movie. I had to burn London. A lot of stuff had to be destroyed. So there was a there, there was a fun element to it. David Gardner just woke up to a nightmare in his own backyard. Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars. I don't know why there is this fascination to, to remake things. Are you okay, Dad? But I love the original. Fine. And it was an homage kind of thing. Everything's fine now. So it was something done, probably for all the wrong reasons, to make a movie. But nonetheless, you know, a film that does have a certain stamp on it. I don't know. I'll watch it every 10 years. <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre 2. Chainsaw 2 was um, 15 years later. And by now, films had gotten extremely graphic and visceral. And so, uh, yeah, I cranked it way up. <laughs> the point is really way surreal. I mean, there are parts that some people just, you know, they, they're looking through fingers. I like the unknown and strange and bizarre things. Uh, it's, it's really weird because I've had people ask me about making these films. Or, or, do they scare you when you're making them? And it's like, no, it's not at all scary. When you shoot these things and you see that they work, you're laughing and it becomes a comedy to you. What so, happened yeah, was there true. you go. From the man's... From the man's mouth. I sound weird again. Uh, I don't think you're turned up enough. Really? Okay. Maybe that's it. Okay. There it is. So strange. Sensitive equipment we have down here, guys. Um, but yeah. You see what I'm talking about, though, with his fucking voice? Yeah. It's like the cool uncle. Right. <laughs> I love that. Before that interview, I'd never heard him talk about... Uh, chainsaw and talking about the brake lights and stuff right <laughs> so great yeah it was just wonderful wonderful stuff <laughs> wonderful wonderful stuff what am i doing <laughs> what's happening <laughs> still learning the smartphone okay okay all right here comes the controversy here it is all right in 1982 toby hooper <laughs> directed poltergeist Right. Poltergeist. I don't understand the uh, confusion. Um, <laughs> so, moving on. Uh, <laughs> no. Of course, everybody knows there's the big hubbub about, uh, well, Toby didn't direct that movie. Steven Spielberg actually directed it. Toby just put his fucking name on it. 
And Zelda Rubenstein had come out and said a few things about Toby and drugs and not making sense and being out of his mind and all this kind of horse shit that I just don't buy. Yeah. Completely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, who's going to trust someone named Zelda, first of all? Right. Um, So before we get into the, the movie, because I do have some stuff to talk about um a man that i feel like is a good friend although we've never met uh mick garris uh, um a trusted authority in the world of horror oh for sure um if you get well you get a chance not if you get a chance get the chance and download his toby hooper interview um uh he reposted his interview with toby hooper as a tribute and then did like an hour, hour and a half episode with uh, Caroline Williams and Bill Mosley mm. uh, as a tribute to Toby. Nice. Um, <clears throat> but um, in one, in in the um, latter, uh, Mick mentions. Um, well, the headline in Entertainment Weekly is Poltergeist director Toby Hooper deserved directing credit, not Steven Spielberg, says filmmaker Mick Garris defends horror auteur on new episode of Postmortem podcast. Uh, that's Mick's podcast, Postmortem. I can't urge you enough to subscribe. Everyone that he interviews is great. Mick Garris is the only genre interview worth listening to as right. far as I'm concerned. Like He knows how to do it. Um, but anyway, I'm just going to kind of read this article. Uh, did the late filmmaker Toby Hooper deserve his position as the credited director on the classic horror film Poltergeist? Or was the film's co-writer and, by all accounts, very hands-on producer Steven Spielberg the project's real auteur? It has been a controversy that's been debated since the film's release back in 1982. This week, Hooper's friend and collaborator, the filmmaker Mick Garris, offered his expert opinion in the course of a new episode of Mick Garris' post-mortem podcast, which found the host paying tribute to Hooper. Quote, I was doing publicity on Poltergeist, and a lot of people were talking about the Spielberg and Hooper situation, said Garris, who later worked with Hooper on Showtime's Masters of Horror series. From my perspective, it was Toby's first studio movie. Here he is on a studio lot on a big soundstage. Steven Spielberg <clears throat> had written the shooting script, was on the set, and was producing. And Spielberg is a consummate filmmaker, and he lives and breathes movies. He probably has sprockets up and down his spine. (laughs) Very passionate, very intelligent, very articulate. And yes, I would see him climb on the camera and say, maybe we should push in on a two-shot here or do this or do that. And Toby would be watching. Toby was always calling action and cut. Toby had been deeply involved in all the pre-production and everything. But Steven is a guy who will come in and call the shots. And so you're in your first studio film hired by Steven. I mean, Toby directed that movie. Steven Spielberg had a lot to do with directing that movie, too. Here's what happened, Garris continues. (laughs) It happened to Robert Zemeckis on used cars. Kurt Russell said to Spielberg, I can take direction from you, or I can take direction from Bob Z. I don't care who it is, but it can only be one of you. It can't be both of you. That's the worst Kurt Russell impression ever. (laughs) Uh, And Steven just backed off and said, you're right, I'm sorry, nobody did that for Toby. So that controversy still hangs there, but Toby is so much a crucial part of that movie, and watching both of them work on that film was a fascinating learning experience for me, who would later on become a filmmaker uh, after doing publicity. I understand how people could perceive it otherwise, but Toby was a terrific filmmaker, and I don't think it's that Stephen was controlling. 
I think it was that Stephen was enthusiastic as a filmmaker who has a cell who has celluloid running through his veins, mm. and nobody was there to protect Toby. Look, <laughs> all of the pre-production was done by Toby. Toby was there throughout. Toby's vision is very much realized there, and Toby got credit because he deserved that credit. Everyone, including Steven Spielberg, said that. So, sounds, fuck off. Sounds pretty uh, cut and dry to me. I think there are some people from Scares That Care who owe <laughs> me a bit of an apology. Um, oh. I'm getting Team Hooper shirts made. Team Toby shirts. There you go. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, Poltergeist, 1982. This is one of those horror movies I saw before I became a horror kid. Mm. And... Uh, I've told the story on a few podcasts. Um, <laughs> in no way did I come from a rich family. We, ah. <laughs> we were comfortable until we decided to get a pool. <laughs> and the pool then took away any bit of comfort money that my family had. It, was a, it still is a gorgeous in-ground pool. Yes. But I was a kid in fourth grade when they were getting it built. I had just gotten a, a black and white TV in my bedroom. My bedroom, which the only window in, <laughs> faced the backyard and was right over where they were building the pool. Right. Couldn't get to sleep one night as a little kid. <laughs> watching TV, Poltergeist came on. I'm watching it. The scene with the freshly dug hole for the pool happens. It's storming outside at my house. <laughs> I look outside my window and the exact same hole where a pool is being built in a storm is in my backyard that is on the TV. I didn't sleep for weeks. Yeah. Absolutely fucking terrified. So you're having trouble sleeping, watched a movie, <laughs> and then didn't sleep for weeks. Yes. Yep. Fantastic. Um, uh, beyond all the other shit in that movie, the, the tequila worm. Oh, God. Uh, the, the <laughs> face in the mirror. Uh, even the, 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 the furniture, like, stacking itself. Yeah. Scared the living shit out of me. That's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Yeah. Uh, the weird uh, pink stringy goop that they used on, like, the rope. Yep. The, like, ectoplasm Scared the or shit out of me. Yeah. and didn't know what that was. Carol Ann was terrifying. Um, very effective movie. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I can see very much a Spielberg movie. Sure, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Steven Spielberg had nothing to do with that movie. He, he definitely had an influence on the way that movie was made. Yeah, and like Mick Garris said, that's probably what happens. Right, Steven was on set and couldn't disassociate himself right. from being the film. You know, and this being Toby's first big opportunity, you don't no, want to make waves. No, you know, he's not going to say, Stephen, shut the fuck up. Right. You know? Like, I know you made E.T., but calm the fuck down. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but, like, more like, look, I know you You made E.T. Right. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Poltergeist. Yeah. It's a very effective, very, very cool <clears throat> movie. Craig T. Nelson's amazing. Yeah. It's one of those remakes that's great. Sam Rockwell's I still need great to watch it. it. Yeah. Make it part of your 31. I think you have I will. it, right? I do, yeah. yeah. It's very, very good. Jerry yeah. Harris is in it. He's great. <laughs> uh, then in 1983... Oh, another thing. Going back to the first Chainsaw. Yes. I think I brought this up on the show before, and you kind of 
pshawed it. <laughs> a real like question, burning question that I have. Mm-hmm. I'm sure maybe somebody knows. It's like part of a record somewhere. But like, why? Why is Chainsaw two words in the yeah. title? Yeah. It's fucking weird. It is. Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, sure, it was probably just, oh, we fucked up. Right. When we did the typeface. <laughs> right. But maybe it's more than that. In 1983, Toby Hooper directed the Billy Idol video, Dancing With Myself. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and I like that. Hold on, let me get it pulled up. I like that on IMDb, it's listed as a video short. <laughs> oh, is it? As if it as if it's like a short film. Oh, it's just a video on mine. Yeah, on IMDb. On IMDb dot com. Because oh. you're using the app, I assume. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I it's more accurate. Right. It's more accurate. Nope. So. Mm-mm. Uh, in nineteen eighty five, <laughs> this was also a movie that I watched uh, before I was a horror geek, but I watched it because I was. Uh, becoming a, a man. man. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, this was impactful uh, to me for a uh, whole different reason than any yeah. other films. Uh, Life Force. Mm. Or Space Vampires, right. as it was originally titled. Yeah. Uh, I love Life Force. Yeah. I really do like it's that good movie. movie a lot. Um, but my introduction to it had nothing to do with it being a great movie. Nope. It had to be with, holy shit, she's hot, and she's naked through the whole movie. Yeah. This movie was like a legend <laughs> in, uh, I guess, middle school yeah. or late elementary, early middle school. A, a legendary film amongst those who had started masturbating. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had HBO. Yeah. So I remember hearing about it and then waiting to see it in the listing come up. And yeah. Did not disappoint. Matilda May is a fucking gorgeous, gorgeous woman. Yes, she is. Um, so, yeah, that's all I remember about it as a kid. Yeah. Um, I now watch it not only for that. Right. Uh, it's still a factor. Yeah. But. Oh, it's absolutely still a factor. Uh, you got Captain Picard. Yep. Uh, just a solid, solid spaceman. It's, again, it's Toby Hooper throwing you for a loop and going, oh, yeah. Here's something that is nothing yeah. like you know that I can do. Oh, you like Chainsaw? <laughs> I don't know if you'll like this, but here you go. <laughs> right, right. Chainsaw Galactica. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, just a, a great film. And uh, I've heard that the Arrow release of it is fantastic. I'm sure it is. Uh, of course. Uh, I love the new cover they gave it. Yeah. Uh, it's out of print. I can't find it anywhere. Um, but um, Scream Factory did a great job. But yeah, they they put out a, a really really good uh, release for it. Let's see what do we have left. We have quite a ways to go. Um. All right, well, let's. We're not the only people who we know that had an opinion, uh, or had, wanted to talk about the the loss of, of Toby Hooper, a uh, guy that I work with named Tony. Uh, who's a uh, videographer? Uh, he's a big horror fan, and we mm. talk all the time about horror movies. I keep telling him I need to get him over here, but he's married, and it's like difficult for him to get away. You're gonna find out. <laughs> um, like, I'm here, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but Tony, I pulled him aside when when Toby died, and and he said, "Were you guys doing anything for the podcast?" And I said, "Yeah, we're probably gonna do like a legacy episode." And he said, "Oh man, 
I said, and now that I have the H1, I said, hey, I can bring the podcast to you if you want to, like, you know, give your yeah eulogy or whatever for, for Toby. And uh, he said, sure. So I did that. So we're going to toss to uh, my good friend to- Tony, who whose opinion I respect very highly about horror. And uh, I love, he's my age, but you'll you'll notice in this uh, in this bit that I, I really want to get him on the show because I love his approach okay. to horror. He's very, very much still has like, I don't want to say a childlike, but like, uh, like an innocent kind of wonder about, okay. oh, and then this happened, and then, <laughs> right. and then the guy turned into the thing, but not in an annoying way at all. Right, it's like right. really, really like wonderful. <laughs> uh, also, it should he's, be mentioned. He's not jaded. <laughs> right, not at all. Yeah. It should be mentioned to uh, our good friend who's been on the show, Stephen, um, the 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 day that uh, Toby passed away uh, sent me a message saying, hey, if you guys are doing something about Toby, uh, an episode I, I'd like to contribute. And I did not get a chance to get his um, thoughts or words or recording recorded. <laughs> Thanks, Robbie. <laughs> uh, before we before we decided to record this, so there will be like a thirty, maybe forty five minute appendix to this episode that it is just Stephen um, paying his tribute to uh, to Toby. So look forward to that. But for right now, let's um, listen to my good friend and fellow horror geek Tony uh, give his opinion on the passing of. Uh, Mr. Hooper. Uh, well, I was sad. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, he had an influence on me as a child and scared the living hell out of me. So I guess I, I just sort of felt like there was a great loss to the genre, to uh, to my childhood. I, I, I sort of, that's becoming a common thing where I feel like my childhood is dying around me now um but uh i guess after that i sort of thought man that you know we're gonna we're gonna miss out on some some scary shit obviously texas chainsaw massacre um the second one was even crazier in crazier ways um uh, as a kid i watched uh um what is it, uh, Invaders from Mars? I didn't even realize, like, that wasn't even, like, a horror film to me. Like, that was that was just fun and weird. Life Force, um, that was another one that um, uh, people, I, I don't remember if it was friends or whatever, but, like, warned me that it got a little nuts and crazy, and I thought, oh, whatever, you know, like, you know, I can handle it. But when, when stuff started going crazy in that film... Um, I was blown away. Um, didn't expect it to go the way that it went. Of course, I knew nothing about it other than uh, what was it Patrick Stewart was in it, and this was around the time that he was doing Star Trek, you know. So I was thinking, oh, you know, right? How bad can it be? And I was like, oh shit, uh, this is this is pretty badass. Um, but uh, but uh, to get back to like the first, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I used to uh, stay with a, ba- a babysitter on the weekends in, in Bedford. My mom would like drop me off for the weekend. And I used to love to go there because they had, like, a wall of VHS that they just recorded all these movies they rented. And it was, like, a treasure trove or whatever the term is that I could just dive into every weekend. And they'd let me stay up all night, and I would just watch movies. Anyway, one night I came across Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I sort of dared myself to watch it. And uh, it was probably 3 or 4 in the morning. And... uh and yeah, I it, uh, the first thing that struck me was how real it seemed. Like it wasn't really a movie, you know. I was kind of along for the ride. Like I was 
just on you know on this road trip with these people and suddenly they pick up this dude and he goes nuts and and i realized then that i was not like they weren't safe i wasn't safe like this was a kind of film that i'd not seen before and then of course um just how creepy and and and, and like uh carpenter's um halloween it took place during the day like first half of it or something and just how creepy that was to be out in the middle of nowhere sort of like a north north by northwest scene where you're just like surrounded by nothing and you know that there's something bad's about to happen at some point but it just kept going and it kept going and they get deeper into the house and the next thing you know the door flies open the guy gets bludgeoned with a sledgehammer and he's writhing around like a stuck pig and i think they even had sound effects of a pig being killed or something like underneath it it was it was just so intense and then and then the the meat hook you know and watching someone getting cut up with a chainsaw and then later when it is nighttime the scene where the guy um he's complaining all the whole time and you just you want him to die right and you're just waiting for it and he's got the flashlight and you can hardly see anything and then next thing you know right in his guts and there's blood and all you see is like the light goes from yellow to red and screaming and then the rest of the film is her running and screaming for her life basically and it was pure horror and pure delight and even that ending where he's she gets away. She's completely crazy now from the experience. And he's, he, I think he cut himself in the leg with a chainsaw or something. He falls over. But he's just, I don't know, it was almost like he was dancing. And it was this surreal thing he was doing with the chainsaw in the air. And it just, that was the ending. And it, and, and it was like there was no, there was a catharsis, I guess, because she got away. But at the same time, it was like he got, they got away with it. It was like, it was, yeah, it was like, you really don't know how that ends other than um, she got away and there's this crazy family out there that's probably going to do some more crazy shit before they get caught, if they ever get caught. 12 or 13 when I saw that one. Poltergeist, that, yeah, that is one that actually, now that I remember we're talking about it, um, I, I was living in California, I must have been like, eight or seven or I don't know somewhere in that range and my parents we had you know HBO was huge and it was like one of those things where I would always try to sneak out of my room to see whatever my my parents were watching like one night Friday the 13th was on and that was a huge mistake um wound up running back to my room from that but um I caught glimpses of Poltergeist um and that TV with the kid uh you know the girl Carol Ann and and that was just scary enough right there and I don't think I stayed for much of that one, but um, going back to it later, again, probably in my teens, renting that one. Um, uh, actually, you know what? I think my mom, this was around the time when movies were like, they were on the fence between PG and PG-13, and I think this is one of those movies that pushed that to that PG-13 rating because I think shortly after that, it went into effect or something like that. And uh, this was one of those movies that got changed to a PG-13 rating. And my mom, I, I swear to God, I'm not making this up, had said that she probably shouldn't have let me see that. So I'm, I must be off on my time. So I was probably about eight or nine when I saw it. And wow, that's that's crazy. To th- okay, anyway. Yeah, so I, I saw that before I saw some other ones. But um, that's a movie that I... Th- I saw on, um, and this is when I first moved here to Lynchburg, there was WGN coming out of Chicago, and they would play these movies cut down, like Breakfast Club and Less Than Zero, like kind of great and culty classic 80s films, Blade Runner, whatever. And um, if I'm not mistaken, Life Force, it was either on there or I saw it on like USA. 
um, USA up all night or one of those weekend horror things. And um, yeah, dude, it just it blew me away again. It it, it brought it brought something that I, I'd never seen before and, and didn't expect with um, that that shakeup with her character in the sense of you know I was attracted to her and is, I know that it's like she's like this alien or something, but I never expected that movie to just to go as nuts as it got. Oh right, and then Ch- dude, and that was that was crazy. That's one of those movies where like in Alien when the when the chest burster comes out for the first time and you're so not expecting it, I like had to pause it and like take a breather, uh, sort of almost felt a little nauseous, um, almost because it was just so off kilter, was was so crazy, that opening scene where those teenagers are driving across that bridge and they get in that like, uh, whatever you want to call it, the drag race or whatever, and suddenly the chainsaw comes out and the top of the guy's head gets cut off and I was like in shock. I guess that's probably the best word. Um, shock for just a gratuitous top of the head getting sawed off with a with a chainsaw. I never thought I'd see that ever in my life. And then to go from that to the the crazy Dennis Hopper chainsaw shopping, um, and then doing his crazy like just going nuts on that log like, and it just was insane. It was like insanity in a film. Uh, and uh, and then yeah, and then from there it just got again to go back to like weird erotic moments as a developing person seeing a woman basically get sort of I don't know she wasn't raped per se but she went she, she it was like she got into it I guess it was a survival instinct but it was very confusing for me as a young man to see a woman get into a chainsaw uh not only that but a, a guy wielding a chainsaw with a leather with a human face on his own, um, it just was disturbing and erotic and um, wonderful. Um, wonderfully disturbing, maybe. It's probably a better way of putting that. But, um, yeah, and then it just, like, I guess a lot of his films do, just they go further and further down this rabbit hole of unexpected, uh, uh, phantasmagoric is probably the best word of just things you don't think you're going to see and, and, and you and you see something you've never seen and, and maybe sometimes you hope you'll never see again, but, um, uh, yeah, I just, uh, man, I, I sort of lose my train of thought, but I mean, even, even, uh, you, you, like going deeper down that rabbit hole, like in the first one you see the house and it's this crazy labyrinth of just a decaying home with all this filth and body parts and bones from whatever. And now they're in this, like they've turned an amusement park into like this castle of horror. And then we are in that pit with the with the with the guy who just got his face cut off and he's still alive, and then she, and then I think at some point she's putting a face on or something to get out of there, and then she's being chased and the next thing you know there's a chainsaw battle, and and then again like the ending of the first one the crazy guy at the end dancing around at the top of the of the amusement park, that was that's right that was her she goes completely nuts, and yeah man wow I gotta see it again. Oh, with, with the, the scratchy plant. thing on his cooking his own meat off of his head. Yes, what in the hell, man? That was insane. Invaders from Mars. Perhaps it may have embedded in me a sort of paranoia of adults and authority, um, kind of like maybe a sort of kids' version. I mean, it is right. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Let's just say it right. Like, um, but then to just go even further. Just yeah, th- those creatures were just so weird. I. I've, 
I feel like I heard something about budgets kind of held them back from doing more with, with the creatures and stuff like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, that was, that was a fun movie that, that had a little, that wasn't really that gory. No, it was just, it was creepy. And I remember like the, the scenes with the teacher or the nurse in the school and, uh, you just, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't trust anybody and nobody believes the kid and seeing it, uh, with older eyes, um, having seen it as a younger person, it, it was even more fun, I think. Um, just to kind of see it now as an adult and think, oh, I remember when that, I, I felt that, um, and now I understand what that feels like versus being in it and seeing it and, um, well, not that I was, right, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. in the feeling of, of like, right, this is what it's, nobody listens, nobody believes me, and this could happen, and what if it does, and, yeah. and now, yeah, it's just fun. Probably, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, like with like Saw, these, these genres that just keep, or not genres, excuse me, but um, films that just keep pushing the intensity and the originality, um, uh, going further with things than, um, and showing things that maybe you're not going to be comfortable with or that um, it doesn't even have to necessarily be realistic um, because our brains do so much work for the film and for the director. And, and, and frankly, I mean, that's what it's about is, is what you inject into it that makes it scary. I mean, obviously it wouldn't be scary if it wasn't scary, but, um, I mean, someone else could see the same film and be like, ah, whatever, or not even go to see it because of the genre. Um, but I think that the the lasting, uh, thing for, for sure is going to be that, you know, if it, cause if it weren't for him, uh, perhaps it would have, I'm sure we would have gotten there eventually, but we wouldn't have gotten there so quickly and so intensely with, uh, this like real, real horror that can suddenly get too real or, or, or even unreal, um, in a way that is real. Again, now I sound like a crazy person. This is so silly. But I think if you know his films and you know horror, then you know what I'm talking about because, um, things can get out of hand quick. And, um, and I think, Sometimes directors play it safe or writers or whatever because they don't want to go too far. And I think that's something that, um, at least in my experience with those films, um, he didn't worry about or, you know, as far as I know, right? What do I know? But um, I, it was it, almost every time I, I, I watched one of his films, I had a sort of jaw-dropping, holy shit, uh, what did I just see? Let me rewind that. Or, oh, my God, I can't believe I just saw that moment. So, um, if anything, I think that's what uh, he'll he'll leave behind. Thanks. Thanks for scaring the shit out of me. Um, because he's truly one of the few directors that actually did scare me. Um, and, uh, damn, it sucks. I'm sorry you had to go because... Now thinking about it, I uh, would be looking forward to some some more scares, some more some more of your films. Um, but uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, some someone or some some directors will step up and you know uh, carry carry the mantle, so to speak, and keep pushing it. All right, that was uh, our good buddy Tony again. What is why am I okay? <laughs> Uh, sharing his thoughts. I, I love listening to that guy talk. 
And he, he, he touched on something that I, I meant to bring up earlier, you know, that you don't really think about until you start comprehending someone's body of work. Toby Hooper's one of those few directors that I feel like was not, like, rooting for the audience. You know, or, like, wasn't... As, as, on, as an audience, we could not trust the man <laughs> who was... Like entertaining us, right? In in a wonderful way, right? Like this man might scar me for life at some point <laughs> yeah, in like, this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something that should be said for that. Um, where were we? Oh yeah, then this happened. Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. I mean, he had a face. Two. Yeah, yeah. In the wake of <laughs> he had an abundance of faces. Oh, that's true. He vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Still learning that smartphone. Massacre 2. The Buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. Directed by Toby Hooper. <laughs> I don't like that voice as much as the one for the original. Although that one's still good. I've never seen this. No. I've heard good things. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. Over a decade later, yeah, the man who started it all came back and was like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's do a sequel." <laughs> That's rather unheard of, right? Um, in 1986, uh, I'll never forget the local video to go mm. um, had a huge stand-up of the poster, which was the Breakfast Club knockoff. <laughs> Love it. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is aesthetically exactly opposite of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. It's a beautiful uh, work in, like, dual nature yeah. or whatever. And really, like, is probably the most important thing to me about proving that Toby Hooper is an amazing director. Yeah. The same guy directed both of these movies, right? And they're this, they're they're, they're it's a, a film and a sequel. They're related, but they are completely fucking different films, right? Yeah, because you find you know it's it's not unheard of for uh, a director to do vastly different kinds of movies just right. to like show their range and all that, but to show such a vast range in the same series of movies, yeah, is fucking astounding yeah like you know almost 15 years apart yeah and um what always struck me as funny is in commentaries and interviews and all over the place i've always heard toby say 
He never understood why no one realized that the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a black comedy. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, sir. <laughs> you are fucking out of your mind. But, I mean, you can kind of see it. Like, okay, In Bruges is a black comedy. <laughs> right. This is a snuff film. I love that part <laughs> in In Bruges where the cook is like, look what your brother did to the door. But there there are moments and right. flashes, you know. Right. Um, but for, and he truly believes it. Like, yeah. That's so fucking impressive to me. <laughs> like, as a twisted psyche, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's so great. But yeah, Chainsaw 2 is loud. It's big. It's fucking technicolored. It's 80s. Yeah. It's got Caroline Williams Oof. and her legs. Both of them. Yep. They start at the floor. And they go all the way up. They sure do. Uh, unfortunately, Gunnar Hansen didn't return, but Bill Johnson was great. Yeah, as, as a, a different leather kind face. of le- Leatherface. Yeah, we have Lou Perryman as uh, LG, my <laughs> spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, LG, man, I fucking love LG. Made you a fry house, darling. Looks like I was falling apart on you, darling. Oh, the saddest. The <laughs> saddest. <laughs> I remember the first time watching that. LG is what would happen if if Franklin were likable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching Chainsaw 2 the first time and that scene being like, no, don't be alive. Please don't be alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too sad. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Uh, uh, a grotesque film. Uh, very gory. It's it's everything. It's the p- opposite of everything that the original film was. Yeah, but it's fucking wonderful. Uh, I mean, obviously, just if you listen to the naysayers of Rob Zombie, um, <laughs> they are right about one thing. Like Texas Chainsaw Two had a big fucking oh, influence yeah. on Rob Zombie. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh, um. Um. Oh damn it! Why can't I remember the cook, the actor's name? <laughs> the character's name is Drayton Sawyer. It is, but he returns, and he's this is his like moment to shine. Yeah, he's so wonderful. Uh, I never got a chance to meet him in a convention either. I was kind of wanted to. Jim Seidel. Jim Seidel. Seidel. Yeah. Um, uh, introduced the world to Bill Mosley. Yes, it did. And we can't thank it enough for that. That alone, right? Um, is enough to lift it to the rafters for me. Uh, e X I T exit. Good night. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> uh, so good. Um, yeah, Chop Top Man, and uh, also a, a huge show off for uh, Tom Savini and yeah. his guys. Um, and so much of that movie came together for me in later stages. Yeah. Like it never like I remember years after first seeing it upon multiple viewings the aha moment of like oh that's the fucking hitchhiker's brother. Right. Yeah. And that was like huge for me. Right. Like it added such a new dimension to everything. Oh yeah, of course. He was in Vietnam. Right. During the first movie. That's so fucking perfect. Yeah. It's where he got the Sonny Bono wig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> Get that bitch Leatherface um, And then uh, 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 And then You know Several viewings later Oh Fuck Nubbins is the fucking Hitchhiker 
the puppet on the back of the the, the, the other face is puppeting as he <laughs> fucking chainsaws the guy's head in half. Yeah. Is the hitchhiker from the first film. This is fucking genius. <laughs> and it is. It is. It is so wonderful on so many levels. Yeah. Um it's 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 and and it's also so unique. Those two movies together, Chainsaw and Chainsaw yeah. 2, are so unique as a double feature. Yeah. It's not something that you get when you watch Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Right. Or Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. This is a, it is, it is a singular feeling. Yeah. The, the, the double feature of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 gives you as a viewer. And it's a awesome one. Yeah. That has only ever been perfected by Toby Hooper. <laughs> Um, I've seen this movie so many times I don't even remember when I first saw it. Yeah. Um, I saw it later. Um, because I mentioned I saw the first one like early teens, and then sampled by Primus. Yep, <laughs> that was my first exposure to this <laughs> yeah. movie, not knowing. Dog uh, will hunt. Sure will. Um, I saw this probably when I was in college, <clears> so early twenties. <throat> Um, oh, okay. And at this point, I had seen because I didn't really know much about the sequels. Because mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, I just stuck with the first one. Like I'm good. You know, I don't really need to to go any further. Yeah. Um. And then I saw. Then the remake came out. Oh yeah, yeah. And oh, you, you saw two after the remake. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um. And so it was. Um. Uh, you know, I like the remake. I. You know, we share issues with that movie. I only had two problems with yeah. that movie. Yeah, exactly. Their uh, last name is not Hewitt. Nope. And you don't see his real face. You do not. That's it. Um, How easy is that <laughs> to not do? Right. Pretty easy. Um, so I just assumed that all the movies were like that dark, fucked up, like, again, visceral snuff film ask like yeah like I, I need i'm gonna need a shower after this movie type of <laughs> yeah. movie this is like grand guignol right shit. Yeah. yeah and then i saw the first this uh chainsaw 2 in college i'm like what the fuck is this movie like i loved it right off the bat yeah but i'm like jesus christ what a departure <laughs> and i'm loving every second yeah. of it <laughs> i do remember the first time seeing it having the thought of like because when I saw it, I was far enough into being a horror geek that I started knowing directors. Right. And I remember halfway through, or at some point, in, like near the middle, thinking, how could Toby Hooper have let someone do this to his fucking <laughs> movie? And then the realization of, wait, Toby did this. Right. Oh, my God, this is brilliant. <laughs> Christmas lights in a fucking underground bunker. What, what drugs were was he on at the time? <laughs> And how can I get them? Apparently, Toby was addicted to Dr. Pepper and Monte Cristo Cuban cigars. All right. Yeah. There's a really great picture of uh, that Tom Savini took of him as a gift on on set for Chainsaw 2. Um, Tom gave Toby one of those uh, beard drinking helmets that has the two things on the side. Yeah. And Toby would put two Dr. Peppers in. <laughs> And there's like a picture of him with a Monte Cristo wearing the hat with two Dr. Peppers. What a classy motherfucker. Uh, Toby also makes an appearance in Texas Chainsaw 2. He does. As uh, the guy that almost gets hit by a beer can. <laughs> yes. When, uh, when uh, Stretch goes to meet Lefty. Oh. <laughs> so great. Dennis, we didn't even mention Dennis Hopper. Goddamn. Um, 
as lefty and right in the performance of his career as far as I'm concerned. Seriously. <laughs> oh, what's the line? I'm not going to remember it. Oh well. I love when he's talking to the to the cop at the scene of the accident. Like, yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. <laughs> right. They was having so much fun. This one sawed his own damn head off, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's it's so great. I just love that your introduction to his character in this movie is basically a scene of him taking his dick out and slapping all the other cops in the face with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's no question about it. It's the meat. It is. It is. It is one of them peppercorns. <laughs> so good. So good. I need you. I got you. I got you. Um, what else to say, man? What else to say about Chainsaw 2? Uh, one of my first, like, honest crushes in a film was Stretch. Makes sense. Uh, an amazing soundtrack. Uh, yeah. The song we're going to play tonight, I'm going to just pull from that soundtrack. I'm not sure which track yet. But, like, the Cramps were on it, Ten yep. Buck Three. Like, oh, it was just amazing. Which is a fantastic name, by the way. Yeah, Ten yeah. Three. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. Just amazing stuff. Red River Radio. Hang up, hang up, hang up, hang up, hang <laughs> up. I'm trying, darling. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> hard ass <laughs> me <laughs> well I got a soft heart darling god damn it god damn it <laughs> uh, uh, interesting note about Lou Perryman a very tragic note um, murdered yeah an axe murder it's a hell of a way uh, to go star of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 murdered by an axe seems so this is like a home invasion odd. right yeah yeah um, but again, one of, it's one of the um, one or two of the red shirt pictures documentaries um, on Chainsaw and Chainsaw Two Blu-rays and DVDs. There's a lot of Lou Perryman, and he he seems like he was the most wonderful man like <laughs> in the world. Yeah, just so likable. Um, yeah. Oh well, gee. Uh, 1986, I think this is the movie that you were referring to earlier, um, he brought us the remake of Invaders from Mars. Ah, uh, yes. I love that movie. Yeah. A- another one of those, saw it as a kid, didn't know who Toby Hooper was, yeah. creeped me the fuck out. Um, I will forever remember the band-aids on the back of the neck. Yeah. Yeah. It's also another <clears throat> facet of Toby Hooper showing us that he can make, he can be Joe Dante too if you need him to. Yeah. That is a straight up kids movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not a kids movie that they would make nowadays. No, of course but, not. Um, yeah, I mean, that that movie is a happy place for me. Mm-hmm. Like, if, I'm, if I have a bad day, it's one of those movies that I'll put in. And Grilled like, cheese and tomato soup. Yeah, I'm just yep. <clears throat> putting right back there. It's, yeah. It's great. Creatures. I mean, it's it's um, definitely loose around the edges. Yeah, with some of the effects and creature effects yeah. and stuff, but it works to the benefit of the film. I think. Right. Uh, it really, really, really does. Basically, the opposite of without warning. I love without warning. <laughs> um, um, 
Invaders from Mars. Invaders from Mars. Oh, uh, there's also a really great Screen Factory release of Invaders yes. from Mars that includes a, a Toby Hooper commentary. Um, in 1988, uh, if it wasn't such an iconic episode, I wouldn't even bring it up, but in 1988, he directed an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. But it was the episode that gave Freddy's backstory mm. that starred Robert England. Nice. Out of makeup and that showed the whole... The whole thing yeah. that led up to Freddy being burned and all that. Pretty iconic moment. Yeah. Um, and it was um, that facet showed, oh, I don't have to work in my own world. Right. You know, Wes yeah. Craven invented this. Okay, well, let me go in. Yeah. And successfully give it a shot. Uh, now we're going to start getting into some stuff that I, I haven't seen. Yeah. Um. I have a poster for this movie hanging in the game room, and I've never seen it. Uh, in 1990, uh, he brought a spontaneous combustion. I remember the movie, and I remember trailers for the movie. I had I had some weird, like, phobias when I was a kid. <laughs> like, I remember at age, like, 10, being really worried about dying. Yeah. To the point where I would, like, hyperventilate. And, Jeez. like, my mom would, like... We would drive around the neighborhood and just talk right, to calm down. Like, it was so weird. But I had a real fear of spontaneous combustion. Wow. Like, I caught some special on A&E or something about spontaneous combustion. And it was it terrified me. Yeah. So I never visited. <laughs> I don't carry that fear anymore. Right. I just since have not um, found the opportunity. I haven't seen. I don't know if it's on DVD or blu-ray I, I would definitely be willing to watch it i mean it's a toby yeah. hooper film uh i'm guessing have you seen it no I'm, i think it's like a lot of people just catching fire probably <laughs> uh 1990 he directed a tv movie called i'm dangerous tonight which i've never seen but it looks like anthony perkins may be in it looks like it so that's a plus yeah love anthony perkins um, I should have done my research, and, and and honestly, I shouldn't have to research this. I should just know. Uh, but in 1989 or in 1991, uh, he directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Mm. I love that show. I can't Not I cannot sure tell one. you which episode yeah. it was. I, I wish I uh, had a higher salt level <laughs> at the moment. Um. In 1993, he directed a movie that I've always heard about. And always, like, heard good things about, but I've never been able to find, called Night Terrors. I think it was, like, actually called Toby Hooper's Night Terrors. Mm. I don't know anything about it. I want to see it. I've wanted to see it ever since I heard about it. <coughs> I don't think it's ever had, like, a wide official home video release. Maybe on VHS. Um, but I don't know anything about it. The The poster is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody has or can find a copy of it... Um, Send it to me. <laughs> Let me know. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now on Look Amazon. It up on Amazon. Uh, it's uh is it it's weird. It probably is weird. Uh apparently it's got Robert England. Okay. In it. Um I'm finding it on Amazon with really even creepier cover art than, than what's posted on IMDb. Um thirty five dollars new. Let's move. Uh, but you can buy used uh, for 13 bucks. Wow, okay. Yeah. I would definitely be willing to do that. 
Check out that cover art. Okay. Yeah. Mm. It's like yep. a, a, a snake going in one eye and out the other of a human head. Yep. Super. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, sorry, I'm just... Making sure I don't double play anything. Um, well, this one is a Italian release, but you've got an all-region player, so you're good to go. I do. That's true. <laughs> Must be nice. Uh, then in 1993, it's listed here as a TV movie. I think it was like a pilot for Showtime, uh, if I recall. Um, Body Bags, ah. which is... So fucking good. I still haven't. I still haven't uh, watched this. It's one. so great. It's a uh, anthology film. Um, John Carpenter hosts it uh, <laughs> with a little bit of makeup. Yeah, just a touch. <laughs> he has makeup on to make him look like he looks now. Right. Much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Wes Craven, I believe, directed one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toby directed one, and Romero was supposed to direct one, but I think somebody else did. It may have just been Wes and Toby. Oh, that's going to bug me. Uh, let's see. Directors. Uh, John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, and Larry Sulkis, who was uncredited. Okay. Oh, Wes is in one. Ah. He has a like a cameo in one of the, the things. That's what made me think yeah. that. Um. But yeah, really, really fun. It would have been cool if it it was going to be Showtime's answer to Tales from the Crypt, I believe. Right. But they just didn't pick it up, and then the studio that made it was like, "Well, fuck it, let's just put it out as a movie." <laughs> it's it's fun. It's it's Carpenter seems like he's having fun, like acting. Yeah. As a crypt keeper type of character, in a morgue. <laughs> Carpenter is having fun <laughs> yeah. in general. <laughs> uh, Mark Hamill is in one of them. Oh, nice. Uh, Robert Carradine, who I love. Uh, is in one of the, my favorite of the three, and um, uh, who did I say? Oh, Stacy Keach. Oh, nice. Is in another. Yeah, definitely worth checking out, and well worth picking up the uh, Scream Factory uh, version of it. Um, where were we? What else do I have? Okay, I've just got. A, we just have a song left. All right, we got plenty of time. Uh, Nineteen ninety-five, a movie that I need to rewatch. Me too. Because I remember not thinking it was that great but i've only i saw it in 1995 yeah in the theater in the, oh god in my uh church that i've told everyone about the ford entertainment center right and if it was 95 i was probably smoking weed in the theater mm. with a box of chicken wings from kfc <laughs> <laughs> um god i wish that theater was still a thing but yeah like what what i took a what i'm year this this many years later uh I only recall, like, isn't that the movie about the washing machine that eats people? Uh, excuse you, sir. The Mangler is about a laundry folding machine has been possessed by a demon from hell, causing it to develop homicidal tendencies. Right. So, like I said. Right. With Ted Levine <laughs> and Robert England, how could that be bad? Yeah, yeah. I want to I remember thinking, like, oh, Robert England looks kooky in this movie. Yeah, he, yeah he's got, like, old man makeup on. Yeah. Uh, I definitely want to revisit it. I'm sure it's like a nickel used on Amazon. 
on DVD. Right. Um, seems like one of those titles that Scream or somebody would probably put out like a, a nice version of. Yeah. Because while I think it's universally kind of thought is not that great a movie, it's a movie that's always there. Right. Like it is talked about. Uh, in 2004, he gave us uh, an interesting straight-to-video film. It was a remake of The Toolbox Murders, mm. starring Angela Bettis, who I absolutely love. Um, it was really good, from what I recall. I haven't seen it in a long time. But it really changed up like the entire subgenre of what The Toolbox Murders was. Like The original Toolbox Murders was just a like a serial killer right. movie, essentially. Like sleaze exploitation serial like killer, Henry esque. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Toby in the remake made it like a supernatural type of demonic hmm. situation that I remember being very good. I need to re. I know I own it. I need to to pop it in again. Uh, in two thousand five, I never saw Mortuary. Yeah. Um. It's one of those movies that's always in, like, the box of eight horror movies. <laughs> right. I believe Dee Wallace is in it. Monstro has sung the praises of Mortuary to me. Let's see. <clears throat> okay. Lots of actors that I recognize but don't necessarily know by name in this movie. Okay, okay. Yeah, well. Yeah, I'm not even sure this one's about. Let's see. Okay. So a family moves to a small town in California and plan to run a long abandoned funeral home. The locals fear the place, which is suspected to be on haunted ground. Okay. All right. Sounds a bit poltergeisty. Yeah. But uh, these, these like, Toolbox Murders and Mortuary, this is, like, um, the point where I start getting angry at, at the system <laughs> in a legendary director's career. Where it's just, like, they're, try- they're having to fund movies themselves. They're having to pull resources from 40 different places. And, right. And in order to make their art, they're having to give up more of themselves and more of their assets and more of, you know, it's, which it's someone, upsetting. someone like Toby Hooper should not have to do. No, not at all. Um, then in 2005 and 2006, he did episodes of masters of horror, a really good one called dance of the dead, um, uh, with Robert England mm. in season one about, um, how in the future, like <laughs> corpses are brought back to life as strippers who are, cattle prodded on stage <laughs> it's very bizarre but very like um <clears throat> robert england almost plays like a cabaret type of yeah. character it's very bizarre <clears throat> but very good and then he did one called the damned thing which is also a rocky erickson song yes and the short of their film is based on a uh ambrose bierce yes short story I don't remember it. I know I saw it, but I don't remember much about it. Yeah, we, we've talked about this one, uh, I think, pretty early on in, in, in the run of the show. But uh, I I like it uh, quite a bit. Um, Sean Patrick Flannery plays the main character. He's kind of an old, haggard uh, sheriff mm-hmm. of the small town. Um, 
Sean it's, Patrick Flannery is old and haggard in yes. 2006. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's a good one. Um, I, knew, I didn't realize both Boondock Saints had been in a Masters of yep. Horror. Yep. Interesting. Uh, then I find it very funny on uh, IMDb. They have Des- Destiny Express redo mm-hmm. for 2009, <clears throat> which is a fictional movie. Okay. That is the... <coughs> Excuse me. That is the plot device for the the book Toby wrote. Oh right. Um, it's a great book. What just happened to me? <laughs> <clears throat> One sec. Sorry. <clears throat> Something strange. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, the book Midnight Movie. Uh, as far as I know, the only book Toby ever wrote, and it's a. Uh, what do you call it like historical fiction yeah about himself like he's the main character it's very john dies at the indie okay as far as like the fun that it is to read um but yeah the plot revolves around a movie called destiny express that he made in college or right out of college like right after or before eggshells right uh that was never made it's a, it's a work of fiction but anytime it's shown people go insane a lot like cigarette burns okay and um, he's, I haven't read it in a while, but uh, I believe he's having to, like, chase the movie as it's touring across America to stop it from making people go insane. Oh, nice. It's really, really fun. And uh, Toby, like, uh, really has a great, like, uh, um, sense of humor about himself. Oh. And it, it's it's I highly recommend it. I think you can find it really cheap on Amazon. Um, and then finally in 2013, I know this movie's on Netflix. It's mm-hmm. in my queue. I haven't watched it yet. But Jen, yeah. And I remember for the first time in quite a while, uh, Toby kind of creating some controversy. Yeah, with the movie among like Muslims, right? Because it uh, deals with a couple of uh, Muslims. Uh, Amirati Muslims. Right. <laughs> Amirati, like you put in your coffee? Yep. Uh, I like a good Amirati sour. Oh, my God. Uh, see, that, that, this is the kind of quality content we uh, we provide here. We get uh, dad jokes. and uh, You mean daddy jokes? Daddy jokes. No, those are different kind of joke. Yikes. <laughs> um... Yeah, but I do want to see Jen. Yeah. It seems... I mean, I, it, again, if I haven't seen a Toby Hooper movie, it's a movie I want to see. Right. Um, so that's the uh, the film work. As I figure out which song to play. <laughs> God damn. They should... Someone... Someone needs to reissue this soundtrack. It's so good. Good on it, Mondo. <laughs> let's go with the song that, uh, yeah, let's go with the song that, um, LG is singing to himself when he comes back in. Um, <laughs> please enjoy Concrete Blonde with Your Haunted Head. Nope. After wow. this ad. Why would they pretend like that's available? Ah. Um, okay. Wow. <laughs> that's a fucking bummer. 
Um. Okay, fine. Let's go with uh, Ten Buck Three with uh, Shame on You. Shame. You remember. Oh, yeah. Shame. Bright Lights, Big Titties. You know what? I'm sorry. This is a terrible fucking song. Let's go with the cramps. Okay, good plan. When the sun goes down and the moon comes up.
Yeah, I feel a lot better with that choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot ten buck three is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're louder than I thought you were gonna be. Uh, yeah, as I was telling Ian during that song, the uh, semi-local band Southern Culture on the Skids does a really good cover of that song. Yeah. Gotta love the cramps. Gotta love Chainsaw too. Um, well, that just about wraps it up. Um, thankfully, we'll be back with you next week for uh, a legit no sadness episode. Hopefully, <laughs> Let's hope so. Uh, we will be touching on the loss of Basil Gogos. I uh, didn't really want to get into it on this episode, but um, pretty important guy. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton got a chance yeah. for that one. Um, yeah, but uh, overall, business as usual next week. We'll be doing a recast. We'll be doing a word sneak. We've started uh, started our 31 Days of Horror mm. for October, so you can look forward to that. Um, we're narrowing down our double feature for this year's Halloween Spookfuckular. Fucktacular. Mm. Anybody can do that. <laughs> we do a Spookfuckular. Um, yeah, so uh, same two questions I asked you last week. Mm. about Romero, what do you think the lasting legacy of Toby Hooper is is likely to be? Um, well, I think, you know, like Romero, it's, um, first and foremost, it's it's uh, um, really solidified the idea of just going out and making your own shit, you know, like, you yeah. know, doing what you have to do to make the film that you want to make. And uh, and I, and I think both of them did it in a spectacular fashion, like Night, like Evil Dead, right? Independent filmmaking at its bare bones, right? Essential, right? Yeah. Um, and then just showing the world that you know, I, I feel like especially horror directors are kind of like stuck, whether they whether they want to be or not, are kind of stuck in that genre. Yeah, and he's like, no, I, I can do other stuff. Like I can do vastly different things, even if they are connected to the horror genre. Like I, I can really branch out, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's something that should be noted, and he should be respected for. Uh, and if you could send an ethereal message to Toby wherever he is right now, <laughs> what would you like to tell him? Uh, thanks for <laughs> uh, legitimately disturbing twelve to thirteen year old Ian. And uh, giving giving myself and, and the world some some of the best genre picks that, that have ever come to light. Yeah. Uh, as far as me, the legacy, and I think it's obvious, uh, his legacy preceded him, or not preceded him, but definitely preceded his passing. Right. Um, you could feel it since 1974 coursing through uh, any film that tried to legitimately strike that hidden fear nerve right that you have within you um as far as an imperial message i would just like to uh i would like to send him a box of uh monte cristo cuban cigars (laughs) and uh just a copy of this episode yeah Uh, specifically when i talk about watching chainsaw on acid (laughs) and how important it i feel like you would get a kick out of (laughs) that yeah i feel like it would too and of course, just just to say thank you to to the man. Um, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you so much, Toby. Thank you, listeners. 
thanks to Mick Garris, thanks to Lucky McKee, mm-hmm. um, thanks to our sponsors, Pseudoludo, um, pseudoludo.bigcartel.com. That's right. Uh, go support them. They have a new line out. A lot of original stuff lot, coming out. Uh, yeah. And uh, some black and white variants of original stuff that looks amazing, glow-in-the-dark yeah. stuff. Um, they've been working with uh, Severin Films lately. That pin looks great. Yeah, they have uh, <clears throat> a new one for their the newest or the last the latest Fulci movie that Severin's putting out, uh, Taste of Honey, mm. something like that. Okay, it's one I'd never heard of, but a really cool looking Lucio Fulci enamel pin. Right. Um, but yeah, prints, pens, all kinds of cool stuff over at uh, pseudoluda.bigcartel.com. We thank them for their support and for being friends, and specifically, I'd like to thank both of them for helping me get through these past two losses that we've had in the genre aside from Ian, uh, they're the only two people in the world that I think understand how, uh, silly or not, how something like that impacts me (laughs) as a person. And, uh, it's wonderful to have people like that to talk to. So I thank them for that. Um, check out our Facebook page. We belong dead. Um, join, send us emails at we belong dead pod at gmail.com. Stuff you want to talk about, uh, subjects, uh, if you want to hear our opinions, if you want to criticize what we're doing, tell us what we can do better. Uh, if you want us to play your birthday party, that's fine. We can yeah. do that. Um, also, if you want to send Fuck, Mary Kills, if you want to send Verses, there's a commentary track you'd like us to hear. Uh, if you're an independent filmmaker, send us your movie. We will, yeah. we will talk about it a lot uh, <laughs> on air. <laughs> Uh, at uh, um, Instagram, it's uh, We Belong Dead Pod. Uh, Ian does all that. I have n- I've still <laughs> not even logged in. Um, my personal Instagram is um, what have I done? Uh, my personal Instagram is Lono Punk, Lono Mojo, Lono Mojo, Lono Mojo. Uh, Ian is I M M one nine eight seven. Yep. Um. Is that about it? That's about it. I was thinking that might be about it. Only one thing left. Uh, Happy October, everyone. And uh, as we leave you this evening, um, please make it a point to raise a glass to blood-splattered chainsaws. uh, 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 The old world of blood-splattered chainsaws and maverick filmmakers.
since you brought up Stanley Kubrick, David uh, Hollander just told me a story about you and Stanley Kubrick. Can you tell the story about when you met Stanley Kubrick? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I met yeah, I met Stan. I was in London and um, and um, at EMI Elstree, and and, and I heard heard that uh, Stanley was mixing a film, um, and and the uh, and then the dubbing stage, and and so I, I I walked in and looked on the screen, and it was The Shining, and um, and. Um, a couple of guys escorted me out early, way <laughs> fast, and then and then I said, you know, I you know if you could uh, you know tell Mr. Kubrick that it's you know Toby Hooper, I I, I had no idea if he knew who the hell I was, uh, but he, um, he he rushed out and embraced me, wow. and, and and he had bought a three a thirty five millimeter print of chainsaw. And, and, and so at Ridley Scott and a lot of directors had, uh, that they were making horror films. Uh, the, the, the interesting part of this story, though, is that The Shining had come out and played out two years prior to that <laughs> moment. And, and Stanley was still mixing the film. <laughs> <laughs> A lot, a lot, a lot like um, uh, in, in Lolita, Peter Sellers was doing a character, uh, uh, the, the, the character that comes in on James Mason um, on, on the, the veranda of the hotel late at night, and, and he says, uh, Peter Sellers says he's a cop, and with the cop's convention, and that, 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 and that had this kind of stutter, that, that uh, my, my good good friend George Swine, the night man can help you into this that beautiful, lovely little girl. Uh, but but he was imitating Stanley, and, uh, oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of like you know, very interesting.